Kairos. This is your moment. Liberty is not man's idea, it's God's idea. We must participate in the public square. This is a moment in time that will define history as we know it, the furtherance of America as we know it. That's a powerful gift, freedom. And we're not gonna bow to tyranny. This isn't me standing, it's us. This is the moment for the body of Christ. We pray that there would be an awakening and a revival in the nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Good evening, everybody. Happy Thursday. Uh, tonight, we have a wonderful guest, uh, Pastor James Cadiz from Calvary Chapel Signal Hill. Not only does he speak eight languages, he also has a doctorate of jurisprudence. He is highly educated, very gifted. He is a, a, a profound expositor of Scripture, and he's going to be addressing critical race theory. Now, this is, this is paramount to what we're... Uh, should, let, me, let me correct that. That's tantamount to what we're dealing with in America right now. I want to show you uh, a clip from Gina Carano. This is a woman who was in one of my favorite episodes, The Mandalorian. I, I loved watching this on the Disney Channel. I've now canceled my subscription to the Disney Channel. The cancel culture that doesn't want any dissenting views has removed her and basically made her a person that doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and, and Ben Shapiro interviewed her on his program I want to show you a portion of that. Uh, they do such a good job. But here is what happened to Gina Carano. Take a look at this video. I've fought in the ring, and I do have hot blood. Um, but it's usually hot blood when it deals with people being bullied. I don't have a problem with power. I have a huge problem with abuse of power. Trained in Muay Thai and with an impressive 7-1 record in mixed martial arts competition, Gina Carano is seen as the face of women's MMA, paving the way for fighters like Ronda Rousey and Amanda Nunes. In 2009, she left professional fighting, but the reputation she carved out led to Hollywood action stardom. From her front and center role in the knockdown drag-out thriller Haywire, to a superhuman with incredible strength and invincibility in Deadpool, and most notably as crowd favorite Cara Dune in the hit Disney Plus show The Mandalorian. Gina also happens to be a conservative, but she sure isn't shy about it either. Having been very vocal in 2020 on masking mandates, voter fraud, Black Lives Matter, and a particular note right now that silencing an outrage for those with different views, there was heat from the Twitter mob repeatedly, often using the hashtag FireGinaCarano. The hashtag swung back around last week. This time, Disney did just that. Gina has since been fired by Lucasfilm, which is owned by Disney, and has been removed from their flagship show, The Mandalorian. Their statement reads, quote, where social media posts denigrating people based on their cultural and religious identities are abhorrent and unacceptable. She was dropped by UTA, the talent agency, The Reptor. She joins us today to unpack this unbelievable move and Hollywood's hypocrisy. We discuss how things escalated to this, if you should be canceling your Disney Plus account, which trended to the top of Twitter when the news of the firing broke, and whether or not this is the story that will finally break cancel culture's grip on American society. Just tragic. And, and here in the cancel culture, and when they say that, that she has issues with, with different cultures, what they're saying is she has a different ideology, so she has no right to speak <clears throat> or participate in Hollywood, so she's been canceled. And, and this, is, this is what we're facing in America. It's, it's racism at its worst. 
and, and people are being attacked simply because of their religious views, their, their conservative position, and they want to make it about white, but in reality, it's ideology, because it doesn't matter about the content of melanin in your skin. It happens, it, it deals with your ideology. And this will be shared tonight because our guest tonight is truly uh, an African-American. And, and he is going to be sharing with a, a doctorate of jurisprudence, uh, an expositor of scripture. He's going to take a look at this critical race theory that Oaks Christian School is having uh, their, their administration be indoctrinated with. They're, they're being educated in, in regards to this. Now, I wanted to add that the, the person who's coming out to teach the, the staff, the faculty at Oaks Christian, and similar speakers across the country in Christian schools embracing really what's happened to Gina Carano, and nobody's speaking out against that as though that's acceptable, but instead they're yielding to this culture that's a cancel culture, and, and the speaker that Oaks Christian here in our own community is having, his name is Dr. Brian Loritz, and he's a doctor, he's a pastor. He has an organization called Kinos, which means uh, fresh or new, but what he's presenting isn't fresh, it's stale and stagnant and putrid. And if you doubt that, just listen and watch these two clips, and then I'm gonna introduce our, our guest tonight who's gonna to refute this and lay out a biblical case why this is just abhorrent and our children need not be subjected to this mess. Take a look, and this is, this is the doctor with his own words, listen. On the other hand, those who are white and against critical race theory often see the world solely through individual terms. There's no systemic racism. If people just worked harder, you know, pulled themselves up by their own bootstraps, then they could make it. A critical race theorist would respond by saying the system has not given them boots. If you are a Christian, how are we to think about and navigate critical race theory? Reading the Bible, there's no doubt there are plenty of seasons in the life of Israel and followers of Jesus where there were clear cases of oppressed and oppressor. Israel in bondage to Egypt. Israel in the season of the Babylonian captivity. The people of God and Assyria. Christianity suffering oppression under Rome. What's more, we see instances of structural or systemic injustice reparations and affirmative action. Yes, all in the Bible. It's in there, folks. Hold on, I'll show you. So is God on the side of critical race theory, but on the other hand, we don't see God demonizing oppressors, but calling his people to love even their oppressors. As one Nigerian writer has quipped, in Africa there are no black people. It is only when I came to America that I realized I was black. Blackness and whiteness only have meaning in relation to the other in this demonic system of race. Think about that for a moment. There was a time in our nation's history where it meant something to be Irish or Italian. But over time, those ethnicities assimilated solely into the category of whiteness. And to be white in America is to be afforded privilege. The system has historically been set up and slanted towards whites. In a recent study, it was revealed that the average white family has a net worth 10 times greater than the average black family. 
White privilege in America in 2020 means you are less likely to be killed or harassed by police. It means you don't have to deal with the daily toll of race. You can sit and watch television that's biased towards you. You can sit in history classes that emphasize your narrative, and you can be colorblind. White privilege means if your white child goes missing, you can count on an extraordinarily longer period of time allocated by the media to find them than if the child was black. So here, in his own words, Dr. Ryan Loritz, uh, Kainos Institute, coming to educate all the teachers at Oaks Christian School this idea of reparations, which I'm, I'm assuming he's going to use, and we followed this through, and we've also listed, and we're going to present this, refuting all of whatever his biblical claims are to reparations in the Bible and the rest of the things he's laid out. Also, some of the claims he's been making in relation to uh, his, his presentation. Now, we did have uh, Pastor David Engelhart go through the book of Galatians and lay out that this, Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But here you have Dr. Loritz laying on this yoke of an immutable trait and that our children are to carry this and somehow feel less and feel as though systemically they're never going to measure up. This is not the gospel. This is divisive. We went through all of Galatians to point that out, and it was a, a profound study. Then last night with Pastor Sam Musgrave, who took us through a portion of the book of Romans, laying out a profound case in relation to that as well. And now on the heels of Gina Carano being canceled by this culture, pitting us against one another by immutable traits, we still have this going on at Oaks Christian and Christian schools across the country, as Pastor Sam pointed out, even in Fresno at the Christian schools, at the Christian University there, Fresno Pacific. And, and of course, our guest tonight is one who interviewed this young lady who was at Fresno Pacific and, and, and saw this cancel culture in action. This is not of Christ. This is demonic and wrong. And tonight, for those of you who are saying, well, these are white men talking about it, well, we've got an African-American. We've got, uh, not only that, we have a doctor of jurisprudence. We have somebody who speaks eight languages. We have somebody who is a profound expositor of Scripture who has a daily program and will refute every single line of the comments of Dr. Lortz and would love to debate him. In addition, if Oaks Christian, which is my son's alma mater, and people spend tens of thousands of dollars to have their children go to that school, traveling all the way from Santa Barbara, if they'd like to have someone come in and deal with race issues, let's get someone who would approach it from a biblical position as opposed to this divisiveness that is being thrust upon our children. This is unacceptable. If there is racism, let's repent of it and, and move away from it. But to declare that these children carry by an immutable trait some systemic issue that they will be forever burdened and plagued with and they're owed by ancestors to somehow pay reparations, this is not of the Lord. This is demonic and wrong. And tonight, my guest, who I am so grateful for, and actually, when I introduce him and I, I turn it over to him, I'm stepping out of the way because... I don't even want to interact with a mind like his because he's going to lay it out and you just sit back and watch as this man systematically lays out the case against critical race theory. My guest tonight is Pastor James Cadiz of Signal Hill Calvary Chapel. Welcome, brother. So good to have you with us. Thanks, bro. It's, a, it's an honor and a blessing uh, to be able to be here and to shed some light, especially on some of the videos that I just watched. Oh, my goodness. The... Whew, it's uh, it's mind-blowing to see uh, men speak these things and do it in the name of uh, biblical precedent. And I think I want to address that initially 
and then maybe perhaps get into some of the other things we were talking about. Yeah, and, and just so the, the folks know who are watching, uh, your parents immigrated from Egypt. You're, you're African-American. You were born in this country. Uh, yeah. where he's talking about Nigerians, and I, I was thinking if America is so systemically racist, why is it that Nigerians are the most successful immigrant group in the, in the United States? The, of, of all immigrant groups, why would they be coming to a nation that's systemically racist and being so successful? Yeah, largest black population to immigrate from uh, Africa to any country in world history is the black population to the United States of America. And I, don't get me wrong, listen, I don't wanna speak from the argument of intersectionality where basically my moral authority is established based on a characteristic of immutability. Uh, right. But I will tell you that when you look at the black population in the United States of America, you're talking about 13% of the population. Uh, my population is 1% of the population. And most people say, well, James, your mom and dad were born and raised in Egypt. That's a Middle Eastern country and it doesn't, it really doesn't uh, count. Well, actually, it's not an Arab country. It's a North African country. And uh, if you go to anybody who's Egyptian and you tell them that they're an Arab, they'll punch you in the face. They'll get that offended. It's kind of an interesting thing. Not that it establishes the moral authority by which we, we uh, share uh, these, uh, these truths. And I think that that's an important principle to be able to understand. So I don't speak from the perspective of somebody who does speak the tongue, the native tongue of his, of his family, that does uh, come first generation into this country. But I'm simply speaking from the moral authority established to us in the scripture, which in Boom. essence is yeah. irrefutable. And that's the yeah. authority by which we need to speak. It's, uh, it's the moral authority that was established by our founding fathers when they put together the Declaration of Independence and, of course, uh, the Constitution. It's the authority by which we stand. Yeah. Well, let's do this. Uh, let's have you uh, just lay out this case. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it over to you. I'm going to step out. We're going to put you full screen. And I, I just want to hit that James Cadiz switch and you just take it. Are <laughs> okay, you good you with that? It. Yeah, I'd be All happy right, to James, do it. Sure. Here we go. We're turning okay. it on. Boosh, James Kitty switch. Bam. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. There's a lot of things that I actually want to address initially as we talk about this. First of all, these videos that we saw. I think the first video uh, with that actress uh, speaks for itself. It's probably one of these things that I, I think I would do. Uh, I would just simply inflame people if I addressed the many issues uh, that were going on. I did not watch the Ben Shapiro, the full interview with Ben Shapiro, but I assume he did that situation justice. So I'm not going to comment on it. However, I will comment on the man who I believe he was a pastor uh, that was teaching some of the folks, I think it was over at Oaks Christian. I'm not gonna target Oaks Christian because it's not about Oaks Christian as much as it is many of the Christian schools that are taking on this type of teaching. Uh, this is the type of thing that we need to be talking about. First of all, let me just make this statement about critical race theory and many of the other constructs that critical race theory is based on, particularly critical theory and all the other things that kind of go behind that. There's a lot of history behind there. I don't have to really talk about that because Rob, Charlie Kirk, a lot of these guys have talked about it a lot. You can actually watch my videos on this. I do a lot about that on our uh, Calvary Chapel Signal Hill YouTube, or you can uh, uh, subscribe on our Instagram, James Cadiz. I do these videos every day. Don't wanna talk much about that. But what I do wanna address is I wanna address a couple of things. First of all, it's critically important that we note that the greatest way to get around a blatant truth, something that is so obvious uh, that it's not even funny. For example, I'm looking at something that's the color black. Oh, this is black. The way to get around that is by developing an emotional argument which causes people to stray away 
from their epistemology. In other words, the way they obtain information, the way they think, you get people so emotional that they become clouded or inebriated. Now we talk about the term inebriation all the time and the, the thought process behind somebody being inebriated in this country is, oh, they use drugs, they drink alcohol, that kind of a thing, and now they're inebriated. Well, no, there's lots of other ways to inebriate somebody. You can inebriate somebody by the uh, assumption of tremendous emotion that they carry in an argument that's given. And what's happening right now with our kids is we are allowing them, teaching them, causing them to become inebriated on the mechanism of emotion that is developed by individuals who continue to communicate lies, that the emotion moves them to follow something that isn't true because they've lost their sobriety so much that they're, inable, they're, they're unable to be able to distinguish the difference between right or wrong. This is precisely why the Bible tells us on a regular basis to watch and be sober. Because if I'm watching and yet I don't have the sobriety to be able to understand what I'm looking at, there's a big difference in that. And so one of the things that we have to identify things for what they are is the mindset, the uh, constructs of critical race theory are designed to take away logical reasoning based on the movement of emotion. And I'm gonna to touch up on this. First of all, let me just simply say, I can, I can demonstrate this based on some of the things that this pastor actually said when he was doing his training. Um, this is a really interesting thing. He noticed this, he, and, and this is just really, really sad. He said white, right, and against critical race theory. Those that are white, and against critical race theory. He didn't say those that are against critical race theory. He said those that are white and against critical race theory. That in and of itself is a, a form of deception that is designed to get your heart inflamed concerning what he says are the injustices of those that are white. It's very, very interesting when he talks about what the critical race theory uh, theorists would say. He would say that they wouldn't have the boots to strap up. Well, the problem with making that kind of statement is yet again, there are emotions that are being used to elicit a response, particularly the response that they're trying to achieve is anger, frustration, the kind of anger that in a non uh, in a non sobriety way, right, in a non sober way, demands literally demands retribution. When in reality, the anger that he has been trying to communicate or that he's trying to uh, impede upon you is something that is superfluous. It's not necessary because it's based on a lie. Why did he have to say white? and against critical race theory. Why couldn't he simply say people who are against critical race theory and then begin to deal with the issues that they have regarding it and then talk about the factual stipulations that might refute the idea of people who are against critical race theory. He's not doing that. What he's actually doing is he's saying white and against critical race theory. So the moment you hear the word white, you, it's designed to cause you to be angry towards those that are white. And let me tell you what it does for those that are in the audience that are white. It causes them to be upset because they begin to feel like they are unjustly treated and then it creates the kind of division that exists. It's interesting how he put up a line in that video that talks about a quote of Thomas Jefferson. I happen to read it. 
He took that quote completely out of context, number one. But number two, more importantly, it's designed to keep to to cause people to look at it very quickly, not fast enough to be able to read or process it. You may have noticed in a couple of parts of those uh, sentences, there were the few dots that he put there designed to get you to think about a statement that he made out of context and thus go down a road of uh, looking at things inappropriately so that, again, you'll walk by emotion. This, by the way, gets done with Martin Luther King all the time. People say that Martin Luther King supported rioting. Martin Luther King supported all kinds of things that he never did support. Many people will say that Martin Luther King himself was the founder of critical race theory and the one who projected initially the idea behind rioting to accomplish the kind of purpose that you want within the government uh, infrastructure. When in reality, if you look at the most famous speech that Martin Luther King had ever given, he referred to the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence as a promissory note that yet black Americans had cashed, they've yet to cash on that promissory note in the 1960s. And he was 100% right. In the 1960s, they had yet to cash on that promissory note. Now, why would he refer to the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution as a promissory note if it was something that was infested with constructs and mechanisms of systemic racism? He didn't believe that. And not that I am using his belief as to establish the authority, but the reason why I bring up the MLK belief is because people use MLK, somebody who was greatly respected in the civil rights movement, to cause emotions to flare up. So you, you get all emotional. He does this very, very well. And by the way, let me just tell you, it is not biblical. It is certainly not godly. And forgive me for saying this, I don't want to sound harsh in any way. It is certainly not what I would call intellectually honest. I'm not going to call him unintelligent. I think he's intelligent. He's sophisticated enough to be able to very carefully and in a very, uh, uh, in a very calculated way construct a lie, right? But he, listen, there's not a lot of real thought involved in the person who accepts what he says here. Look, he, he gives systems of oppression. He, he, he talks about that being an example in the Bible. He talks about Israel versus Egypt. And then he goes on to Israel and Babylon or Israel and Assyria. Well, you have to understand every single thing that happened in every single one of those situations was directly dependent upon the actions of the people who allowed themselves to get into positions of oppression right? This was not the same thing that we're looking at in the United States of America. It has nothing to do with that. You have to understand God warned Israel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times before the Babylonians came in to take over and to destroy the Southern kingdom. He warned the Northern kingdom of Israel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of times, telling them through the prophet Hoshea and many other prophets, he told them, listen, you need to repent. You need to seek me. You need to put me first because your actions are going to uh, allow yourself to be put in this place of judgment. And by the way, it's very important to note this, that when God judges man, if you want to know this from what the scriptures teach, from the very moment that God judges man, it is the very moment that he allows man to be given to their own wisdom and their own constructs and their own way of thinking. That's when judgment begins. It isn't when God says, I'm going to blow up this country or I'm going to send an enemy in to come get them. Judgment by God starts when a nation is allowed by him to choose to do the evil that they do. So he warned them, listen, if you want to talk about the story of Babylon, look, you look at the Southern Kingdom, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, even Daniel, 
right, was used by God to warn people about the condition of the nation and how they would be uh, affected. As a matter of fact, in the case of Jeremiah, Jeremiah was warning the southern kingdom about the evil that they were doing and giving them an opportunity to change their ways, Israel, roughly 25 years before the first siege by Nebuchadnezzar came in in 605 BC. Then after that, Jeremiah continues on, right? And he continues to warn the people. And as he warns the people, then there's another siege that happens when Babylon comes against the southern kingdom of Judah in uh, five, I want to say it's 595 BC. Then the third, the third siege comes around in 586 BC, where Jerusalem is completely destroyed. And that's where, of course, the book of Lamentations was written, because that was Yermiha or Jeremiah lamenting over the condition of Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. He was, he was lamenting over it. So the, the a whole idea of systems of oppression being allowed to be uh, built in biblical terms, it has nothing to do with this. These, these were systems of consequence of individual and corporate action. They were not systems of oppression as he defines them to be. The story of Egypt, same exact story, right? Same exact story. When Israel chose to stay and allow themselves to dwell in a land that God never intended for them to dwell in, then of course they did become slaves because of the fear of the Pharaoh that did not know God and did not know the God of Joseph. They were disobedient to God. God told them that they needed to go to the promised land, the place that they were called to. Instead, they chose to stay in a land that they were not supposed to. And because they chose to make that decision, they allowed themselves to come into that place and did not take responsibility. At the very moment that they did take responsibility, God freed them from that oppressive state because they chose to walk in obedience to God. We see this happening in the post-exilic books when we read about the book of uh, Nehemiah or we read about any of these other prophets who were after the time of the exile, uh, both from the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom, how God had put the nations together. But once again, when the nations chose to took their, uh, take their eyes off God, they allowed themselves to fall into a place of yielding to their own experience, their own mind, their own thought, and they did this. So we have to understand that a person who goes to a school campus to teach them about the whole idea or the whole thought process related to uh, critical race theory is literally teaching people the worldly mindset. They're teaching people to literally take allow themselves to be ejected from taking responsibility for their actions. And so as a result, they now become permanent victims. And I hate to say this because I certainly don't want to question the heart and the motive of the person who's doing the speaking. But I can tell you he's allowed himself to become duped. He's made a career out of uh, training these people with these things, when in reality what he's doing is he's damaging the very people that I think that he's hoping uh, to, to help. And it is not biblical. Matter of fact, it is based on wickedness and it's based on evil. And again, let me talk to you about how the common sense mindset that God has put within our hearts goes against everything that they're choosing uh, to tell us. Uh, one of the things that's based upon critical race theory, and I'll bring up an example of how they use lies or emotions to cause you to accept or believe a lie. And this is always true. This is th this is what they do. They're not arguing on the base of intellectual honesty. They're not arguing on the base of fact, on the basis of fact. They're arguing on how emotional can I get you in order for you to believe the things that uh, I'm trying to shove down your throat. So I can give you a good example of this, and, and there are many examples of this, by the way, 
But perhaps one of the most effective examples that I can give you of this is uh, when you go to the Chicago school boards. And right now what they are planning to implement within their school system is horrendous. It is absolutely horrendous. I want to read a portion of something that they write where they're asking teachers to do this for students. It is a, literally a form of brainwash and indoctrination. And they're starting the brainwash with pulling the emotional strings of the teachers so that the teachers will believe the lie that's been fed to them and thus pull on the emotional strings of those that are of tender age. And this is what they do. It's very sad, but this is how they do it. So watch this. This is what they say in one of their, in and this is, this comes right out of their policy manual that just got passed into law this last week. Literally, it just got passed into law. Let me read to you what it says. It says this, um, it says that uh, stu uh, teachers, let me go back and I'll provide a context for you. They're talking about the responsibilities of teachers who are supposed to be cultural leaders and so on and so forth. So let me read the, the beginning of, uh, of one of the sections of this. They say the culturally responsive teacher and leader, by the way, can I just tell you, why aren't they just saying the teacher will have the responsibility? No, they're saying the culturally responsive teacher and leader. So what they're wanting to communicate via emotion is, if you do not believe in what we write in this manual, you are not a culturally responsive teacher. That's what they're saying. So if you don't believe in this, it's a form of totalitarianism. If you don't believe in this, then you're a teacher that wants to do evil to your students. That's the idea that they're doing it. And this is where the Bible tells us, if you call right wrong and wrong right, you're in the last days. I mean, that's in essence what's going on. So they say the culturally responsive teacher and leader, oh, I'm culturally responsive. I'm sensitive, of course, this is what I need to do. This is what they're telling me. So the culturally responsive teacher and leader, they already got you by the way, by emotion. I just want you to see that. I keep, I keep saying that because I want you to understand that they've already got you on emotion. They've, they've, they've got your emotional purse strings pulled. So they say the culturally responsive teacher and leader will understand and value the notion that multiple lived experiences exist, that there is not one, and they do this quote, correct, unquote, way of doing or understanding something, and that what is seen as, quote, correct, unquote, is most often based on our lived experiences. This is demonic. This is horrendously destructive and it is based on the premise of critical race theory. It is completely outside of what is scriptural and what they're actually doing by doing this. And I want you to understand why they're doing this. This is the reason why they're doing this is to pull on your emotional purse strings, but not get you to see the real facts. So what they're basically saying here, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna shed some light on this. I'm gonna show you the facts here. But what they actually say is they say, that it is your personal life experience that determines for you what is absolute, what is correct, and nothing else. That is the greatest form of being able to determine what is correct. It's a form, by the way, of the Hegelian dialectic. It's the idea that you can have a thesis that coexists with the antithesis in the form of what they call synthesis. Now, let me just tell you, if you wanna learn more about the Hegelian dialectic or the garbage associated with the Hegelian dialectic, it's a bunch of garbage, but you can really understand the core tenets of it by reading one of my favorite philosophers, and that's Francis Schaeffer. He talks about it quite extensively, does a really, really good job of doing it. Uh, but anyway, we don't need to talk about German philosophers or Italian, it doesn't matter what their race is, but I'm just saying. Anyway, let's just move on. So the idea here is you can make up your own rules 
based on your experience. Let me tell you why that is a fatal flaw. And let me tell you why that's a horrendous way of looking at things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you from a personal experience. Okay, can I do that? I'm gonna illustrate a fact based on a personal experience, an observation that I made from a personal experience. Here we go, you ready? When I was a kid and we were living in our house in Southgate, one of the things that I love to do is play ball with my brother. We'd play with a soccer ball, basketball, whatever. We'd play in front of the house. Now, what would happen inevitably is we would go and we'd, we'd play basketball, whatever, and we would lose the ball and the ball would go right in between these two big cars. We're tiny little kids, right? We're five years old, four years old. They'd go in between these two big cars. And as the ball would go through that gap in the two big cars, predictably, what would we do? We'd run straight through that little gap and we'd go get the ball and then we'd come back. Well, the first time that that happened, my dad pulled us aside and he said, don't you ever do that again. Don't ever do that again. Do you understand, James? Yes. Do you understand, John? Yes, dad, we understand. Yes, Baba, we won't ever do it again. Okay. If you do it again, you're going to get spanked. All right. So we do it again. What does dad do? He immediately pulls us in the street from the street. He spanks us right on the spot, tells us, don't ever do that again. And let me tell you something. After we got that spanking, we learned right away, we are not doing that again. Now, let me explain why that literally laughs in the face of this paragraph that I just wrote or that I just read to you. The paragraph that I just read to you says that my life experiences determine what's right. Well, my experience is I watch Roadrunner, beep, 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 beep. He gets ran over and he gets right back up. No big deal. Who cares? So my life experience says that it's right to go in the middle of the street and to actually grab that ball no matter what. The problem is, is as a four-year-old or a five-year-old, I don't have enough life experience to actually know what the true to life consequence is of me running in the street. I don't know it. Now, the young James that became a 19-year-old that started working for a local municipal police department as a chaplain does know the true-to-life consequence because he actually watched little three-year-old children getting ran over and flattened in the street. My life experience affirmed that which was true. It was not the authority to determine that which was true. It simply affirmed that which was true. These people are saying your life experience will affirm, not affirm that which is true, but determines that which is true. The reason why my father spanked me is because he had to create a consequence for my actions that I would understand based on my life experience. It would be the only thing that would actually save my life. That was the way he disciplined me. He had to discipline me that way. These people right here are using critical race theory to come to the conclusion that your standpoint, regardless of your age or life experience, creates your truth, not affirms the truth or denies the truth. So under this reasoning, I could literally step in front of the, you know, in the middle of the street in front of a truck and it would be correct to do so because it's my way of thinking. The problem is, folks, ladies and gentlemen, it produces casualties. It produces great casualties. And that's exactly what's going on. If you don't believe me, I'm gonna do this just because I can, because I wanna show you exactly what's going on. This is what they are doing in the schools right now. I wanna show you. This, this screenshot that you are actually watching right now, 
and I'm just doing this on the fly. I, I used it from a video that I did earlier. I didn't even think or plan that I was gonna actually use this. But this video that you're, or this uh, screenshot that you're looking at right now is a perfect example of how they are seeking to brainwash our students. They're looking at things like they call restorative just, uh, justice, empathy, loving engagement, diversity, uh, globalism, transgender affirming, all. Everything that they describe here is based on trying to take advantage of the emotional purse strings of those teaching this and those believing the lie. Did you notice here when they talk about the importance for families to be able to do whatever they want and to grow whatever, they never talk about the man in the family because they don't want the men in the family. They want to destroy the men in the family. This is a document that was written by a lady by the name of La Lenya Garcia, which was she chose to take this document and dummy down, not even dummy down, transform each argument for each point that Black Lives Matter carries, which is Marxist, totalitarianist, and demonic at its best. And they're using it to make an emotional argument so that when the kids hear and see these points, they become emotionally attached to it because they were taught at a younger age. Then when they get older and they're introduced to the ugly side of all of this, they'll accept it freely because they will have already been brainwashed using the mechanism of their emotion. I'll give you a great example of this, right? Look at what they say here, globalism. Globalism means that you are thinking about all the different people all over the world and thinking about the ways uh, to keep things fair everywhere. That's not what it means but they're telling you that that's what it means. Then they start getting into things like transgender affirming. This is what they write to a little child. This is designed for three, five, 10 year olds. Everybody has the right to choose their own gender by listening to their own heart and mind. Everyone gets to choose if they are a girl or a boy or both or neither or something else. And no one else gets to choose for them except for the fact that God, who is the creator of science, chose for them from before the day that they were born. But they have to get the children to accept this lie on the basis of their emotions so that they will then accept the next principle, which is queer affirming, which then attacks the issue of sexual contact. So if you can expect transgender affirming, if you can accept that, well, then queer affirming becomes really easy because now it says, well, everybody has the right to choose who they love and the kind of family they want listening to their own heart and their mind. It says nothing here about has the right to choose male with male, female with female. If they say that to these kids, it becomes too radical because their openness to their sense that God has put within them, nature and nature is God, that is embedded within their heart is so loud that they have to use very emotional and very indirect terms like this so that when you get older and you're faced with the corruption that these principles actually stand for, you'll actually be emotionally attached to them and accept it later. That's what they do. Notice why they talk about black families. Why is it black families? Why aren't they talking about human families? There are lots of different kinds of families. What makes a family is that it's people who take care of each other, right? And then notice when they get into black villages, then they start talking about the same thing. They repeat what they just said in black families. There are lots of different kinds of families. What makes a family is uh, that it's people who take care of each other. Those people might be related or maybe they choose to be family together and take care of each other. Sometimes when it's lots of families together, it can be called a village. Well, why do they wanna build the argument for villages? And why do they wanna build an argument for families the way they define them? Because they introduce you to the next place and that's black women. Why don't they say black men? Why don't they say black men and women? 
because they want to get children accepting the idea of single parent homes. Then they go to the worst part about it, which becomes unapologetically black. And of course, I, I don't need to get into all of that because it really is truly ugly. And, um, and truth be told, uh, I don't really think that it's necessary for us to continue to spend time uh, reflecting on all of that. But you guys understand that these are arguments that are made from emotions. That's just the reality of it. So what does the Bible say about this? Well, it's really interesting. The Bible says that man is individually accountable for their actions. The Bible tells us that God actually holds nations accountable for the actions of individuals oftentimes. He makes that very, very clear to us. But what about the individual? Well, how about I read the words of probably one of the greatest theologians that ever lived on the face of the earth besides Christ. How about I just do that? How about I just talk about that for just one moment? He says this. He says, and you know what, before I read it, let me just caution you to consider every word that he says, okay? He talks about in Romans chapter five, chapter six and chapter seven, the fact that he continues to fail the perfect law of God. He talks about how the law of God holds a perfect standard. It is literally the definition of truth that we follow. By the way, it's a direct repudiation to critical race theory. And I'm gonna do some long-term projects that actually deal with this from the book of Romans because Romans does such a good job dealing with this. But what Romans chapter five, six, seven, and eight actually teaches us is that there is nothing that has anything to do with race in God's eyes. It's all about identity. Our identity is not found in race. It's not found in um, anything that relates to our jobs or anything like that. It is found simply in whether or not you are in Christ. You are either dead in your trespasses and sins or you are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, then what these men should be teaching people at schools like Oaks Christian is this. The greatest theologian on the face of the earth says this. He says, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? By the way, I wish that I could translate this effectively for you from the Greek language to the English language. But the way that he is basically speaking here is powerful. He says, this broken, beat up body of mine, he calls it a death trap. That's the literal translation from the Greek to the, Eng to the English. How, who will deliver me from this death trap. And right prior to that, he says, look, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. He says, it just continues to be a struggle. He doesn't say what. He doesn't say what theory. He doesn't say what ideal. He doesn't say what philosophy, which is what these people are doing. They're continuing to say it's these ideals, these philosophies, reparations, so on and so forth. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I may self serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And then he goes on in Romans chapter eight to say, there is now therefore no condemnation for those that are, which, that, are, that are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but walk according to the spirit. Now, why is that so significant? It's really significant because what he is telling us is he is telling us that the key to victory in life in any context and in any circumstance is to take responsibility for your own actions. It's interesting how he talked about Babylon being a symbol of oppression. I think you would venture to say this man would probably make the argument that it was the Israelites that were oppressed greatly by the actions of the Babylonians. And let's just say I accept this premise, which I do not. Israel was being 
punished by God. That's what was happening because of their actions. But let's say I accepted that premise. Daniel would be the epitome of oppression. He was stripped away from his family. His family were undoubtedly a member of the royal court because that's where he came from. So he was related to the king in one way or another, the king, which of course was eventually killed. And yet in his place of oppression, he chose to honor God with everything that he did. He chose to take personal responsibility for everything he did. And God honored him in the midst of a condition of oppression, which teaches us like Romans teaches us to take advantage of the empowerment that God has given us that we may be individually accountable for the sin that so easily entangles us and affects us in a considerable way. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting with the whole thing of what we talk about Romans. And I don't have the time to get into all of the effects of Romans and where it goes from here, but this is incredibly important to understand, right? The Bible tells us in Romans chapter eight and verse six, it says to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God for it is not subject to the law of God, neither can it be. So let me stop and tell you what Romans teaches us basically. And again, I'm going to expound upon this considerably in many of the videos that I do later on on YouTube and on my Instagram and all that. Let me just simply say this. The Bible tells us that prior to knowing Christ, the way it worked was this. We had the brain, we had the flesh, okay? So the body tells the brain, I want this, like the animal kingdom. I wanna eat something. So the brain says, okay, let's go get you some food. The brain, the Bible says, is a slave to the desires of the flesh. That's what real slavery is. Speaking of slavery, by the way, can I just tell you, the United States of America, even in its greatest days of slavery, was a nation that had the least amount of slaves in any other country in existence during that time, just so that you know. We are also the leaders of eliminating slavery when all over the world, they are still still doing slavery. I'm not saying that slavery is right. That's absolutely absurd. It would be ridiculous to even make any such assertion. But there were 16,500 black slave traders in the United States of America. The number one purveyors of slave traders back then are the same purveyors of slave traders today, and that's the Arab Muslim. We'll just leave that be. You wanna do some homework, learn about the Barbary Coast and all the other things that are there, and I digress. The Bible says that real slavery, according to the book of Romans, happens when this flesh is enslaved. It enslaves us. It wants something the mind says, yes, master, I'm going to do it. So it is literally the lowest form of living to be in bondage to the body and reduced to the animal kingdom. By the way, this is why we come up with critical race theory, because critical race theory literally caters to the mindset of the animal kingdom. There's a lot of reasons for that, and I'll talk about it in just a second, but I want to explain this. I'll only be a few more minutes. The Bible says that when you receive Jesus Christ into your heart, it's a completely different story. You see, the Spirit of God now indwells within you. There's a new sheriff in the universe. He lives inside of you. And instead of the, of the flesh telling the mind what to do, there's a new sheriff in your body. It's the sheriff of the universe. And now the Spirit tells your mind what it wants and your mind says, yes, master. And then the mind tells the flesh what is want, what it wants. 
It's a complete role reversal. The spirit of God now rules us and we are no longer slaves to the flesh, to the desires of the flesh or to sin. We are free from slavery. We are free from bondage. Critical race theory does everything that it can to put us back into the place of slavery. It starts by telling you that it's all about race. When I just was able to effectively demonstrate to you that it has nothing to do with race, that it has everything to do with our identity being in Christ. That's what it says. Everything is racist. Everything, the whole system is ruined. Well, that's impossible. And even if it was true, which it's not, but even if it was true, and by the way, the facts relevantly demonstrate this on the lowest of levels, that this is not true. But even if it is true, it is completely irrelevant. It is completely irrelevant. The notion that the system is rigged against me is the very thing that drives me to not take personal responsibility and to do nothing. That's dangerous. They say everything is racist. It's just, it's just everything. And it's just, it's just not true. They have a totalitarian mindset. That's what they teach you in critical race theory. In other words, you do. You are not allowed to have a voice. You must speak the way I believe or you are horrible. By the way, even God is not totalitarian. God speaks the truth and the modes of persuasion that are given to us in the Bible are based on facts, but then we are given the opportunity to choose what we want to believe. Romans deals with that effectively and it deals with that everywhere else. The whole thing of silence is violence. You're not speaking up for that which is evil. I don't even, even need to get into that. But perhaps the worst place that this takes it is right here, the attack against truth. Because they've got you emotional now with the system is rigged against you. They've got you emotional with the idea that everything is racist. They got you emotional with the fear of totalitarianism. They've got you emotional with the silence is violence thing. They got you feeling guilt then the way that they end it is they say empirical data is actually racist. So if you are a black man and you are told to be somewhere at 2.30, if you're there at 2.30, it's a symbol of oppression because you are doing something according to what the white man system is. That's what they're teaching our kids, guys. When, when a kid happens to enunciate or pronounce something incorrectly, he is not allowed to be corrected. So this is what happens. Let me tell you how this ends. They get out of college believing that they are victims of a racist system. So they go for a interview. The business owner says, I'd like you here at 2.30. The kid who doesn't believe any of the critical race theory nonsense says, I'm here, sir. It's, you want me here at 2.30? I'm here at 2.10. He's very clear, articulate, wise. Then the next guy comes in. He's, he shows up at 2.50. Employer says, well, you know, maybe he's maybe he was late because he had an accident or something. And he tells the kid, what's going on? Why weren't you here? Man, time is a symbol of oppression. That's why I didn't listen to it, because it's a white man's fault. And then goes in and uses very unarticulate or inarticulate language. Who's going to get hired? The kid who believes he's oppressed or the kid who's completely squared away? So what we're talking about with critical race theory, all it does is it absolves people of their responsibility to turn their hearts toward their maker. In summary, let me just simply tell you this. It's a real simple story. I'll tell it about my father. My father 
when he immigrated from the United States to Egypt, he was a medical, he had a medical degree. He's an epidemiologist. He had to go back and get recertified. And he finally did. And he ended up getting a job with LA County. He had a boss that basically told him, I don't like you. I'm not going to even use the term that he used because it was completely racist. And he said, I don't like your people and I'm going to fire you. He fired my dad the next day. My dad was unemployed for six months. He fought in court. He got his job back. I didn't know about it until I was around 20 years old or 20, maybe, maybe around 25 years old. The way I found out about it was I was going through some newspaper clippings that we had laying around the house while we were getting ready to move to the house that my dad is in right now. And as I looked at the newspaper clipping, I saw this picture of my dad with a big smile on his face with a check from the county. And it says, you know, victim of racism prevails in court, blah, 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 blah. And I looked at my dad and I said, dad, why didn't you tell me the story? I would have never known. My dad said, because it was irrelevant. You didn't need to know that. And I, I, if I had it my way, you would never know that. And then he went on to tell me that God gave him the gift of living in the greatest country in the world and the actions of individuals had no reflection upon the promise that God gave him in immigrating to this country. And he never wanted us to feel like we were victims based on the ignorant actions of a few. I think that's why I'm here today. I think that's why I'm a pastor. I think that's why my brother heads up diabetes research and is a brilliant man. I think that's why my sister is an amazingly brilliant woman who does great work and my little Down syndrome brother lives his life with great purpose. Because none of us ever viewed our life that way. We only viewed it through what the apostle Paul shared. And here's the most powerful portion of this. And if these guys are gonna teach anything in these schools, this is what they should teach. Here it is, the core of it, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You know, know, it's really simple. It's really simple. So simple. We are called by God to recognize that as believers, the same spirit of God that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the same spirit that lives in us to give us victory over all of the garbage that's being taught right now. And that's the summary of the matter. I think the best thing we can do now is just simply pray and ask God to go before us. And I hope what I've shared has been helpful to you guys. There's so much that we could have opened, but I think that's probably the best I can do for the limited time that I have. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for this time. And we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness, Lord, and for all that you're doing, Lord. You are good and you are awesome and you are incredible. Help us, Lord, to to, to understand the difference between truth and a lie, that we would do what's right in your eyes. So Lord, we love you and thank you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And I actually have the privilege of closing you guys out as Rob does with his normal custom with Numbers chapter six, verse 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. Hey guys, thanks for watching. For more information, head over to VintageMcCoy.com or follow us on Instagram at The Vintage McCoy. We'll see you there.